This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is John Baldoni, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I'm John Baldoni. I am a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, president of Baldoni Consulting, a full-service executive coaching and leadership development firm. I speak and teach uh, uh, leadership uh, widely, and I spend a lot of time executive coaching, and I'm the author of 11 books on leadership. Yeah, and if, if ever there were, we're, we're excited to have you on the show. If ever there were someone who could step into the role of the leadership guru's uh, title, you're definitely one of them. It's an, it's an overused title, but there are a few people that deserve that, and you're definitely one of them. And uh, book, book 11 is, uh, I have to say, is an exciting format for you. It's a kind of a unique format. I'm used to reading, uh, you know, a lot of your books are um, on the long side of exploring one big idea from all angles. And this one is great because it's the, the pocket guide, the leader's pocket guide. It's a short, sort of quick and dirty, 101 things you want to know about leadership. But I'm curious as to what led you to try out that format with the, the pocket guide format of 101 tips. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You know, this is a book I'm really excited about, too. And it, and I think it is the um, brevity uh, and the breadth at the same time of the topics. In other words, there's a lot of stuff in there, so that's the depth, but each topic is touched upon in a brief way. Um, I really came to develop this book and wanted to put it together based on the executive coaching I do. This book is by no means a leadership primer. It's an exploration of leadership, and it's obviously based on my explorations of leadership and the experiences that I've had as an executive coach with senior leaders as well as those on their way to more senior positions. So it's it's a book that explores what it means to lead oneself, to develop your own skills. And I think more and more it's up to each of us to develop our skills. And then the second part of the book is about colleagues, how to relate one-on-one or one to uh, multiple colleagues, uh, leading from the middle, if you will. And the third part is what we might traditionally call leading a group or leading an organization, more of the you're in charge, now what do you do? So the, the the way it comes together is a nice way of from the self to the peers to the organization that you lead. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's an, a great way to kind of structure it out. Each each of those sections comes with a, a little bit of research on the importance of that um, individual particular. So now I, I have to ask, is it is it then, are you, I, I did notice that about half of the book is focused on that organizational side. So I'm going to assume that the the primary audience is people who have suddenly sort of found themselves in that leadership realm, but I I think I can safely say that you also sort of intended to write it for people who aspire to that uh, realm as well. Is that absolutely? You hit the nail on the head. It's both for emerging, but as well as experienced leaders. And I do want to emphasize the experience because typically when you we see a book that you know 101 tips and stuff, we think it's for a more junior level. But based on um, my experience, I think these are the the, the issues that senior level uh, leaders face as well as anyone um, who is uh, emerging and beca- getting greater levels of responsibility. So I try to cover both audiences there. Yeah, and I, I love the way that it's formatted out in that. And you actually address some really cool 
uh, examples for people who are in that starter realm. One of my favorite uh, little sections is this idea of making the choice to manage or making the choice to be a leader. Talk, talk a little bit about that. I think a lot of people don't seem, seem like leadership is something that's thrust upon them, not one that uh, people aspire to or make a choice. But talk a bit about management as a choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you cited that. Now, let me clarify a little bit. I believe that all of us can be a leader, in, uh, certainly, and in certainly the first part of the book uh, talks about personal leadership, what it means to lead yourself, your responsibilities that you undertake, you know, the initiative that you demonstrate. Management is that other equation. That and most, given the management model that we operate, one receives more recognition and more compensation by going into management. And that short-sights a lot of people who are better off being individual contributors and very experienced individual contributors, be they designers, product developers, scientists in the, you know, the pharmaceutical or medicine, those kinds of things. So, and it's also, do I really want to go into management or would I, is it better for me to practice my craft uh, and, to, and do what I do and contribute in this way? And that's a challenge for organizations because it's how do we compensate these individuals individual uh, contributors? How do we vent, uh, how do we treat them as, uh, let them know that we affirm their value and we want them? But going into management is a different discipline, and the challenge is it often means giving up what you do best. So, for example, if you're a, you know, an experienced uh, designer or something like that or an engineer, you're going to have to give up a lot of the stuff that got you where you went. Um, if you're in finance, that's probably a little bit of a less of a leap because, you know, wherever you are in management, you're going to need to know how to budget, and of course, and know the uh, fiscal parameters of, of, the, of the team, of the, per, uh, of the division of the organization. But, you know, for those who come from uh, a more, you know, um, uh, a different background, going into management is a real serious step, and it should be something that you consider uh, rather than have thrust upon you. I, I feel like, though, there's, a, there's always a, a subtle pressure in most organizations to kind of push those, those people into management. And I kind of wanted to get your advice on if, if you feel like it's not a choice that you want to go, how, how do you continue to kind of show, to lead yourself or maybe influence your colleagues, but, but show your value staying in that individual contributor role? Well, I, that's a very good question, and I don't know that there is an effective way. I mean, the, the easy answer to that is keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on um, being a, a good, strong individual contributor as well as an effective team uh, member, a good collaborator. But, you know, talk to your boss and say, you know, I, I, I'm not cut out to be – I don't feel at this time in my life I'm ready to be in management because I enjoy um, the work I'm doing now, and I'm not ready to give that up. I don't know to – be, to be honest with you, I don't know how many managers would be receptive to that kind of feedback. I mean, I think they'd accept it, but they would probably kind of cross you off as – you know, uh, you no longer become a high potential. You're just you're just there, and the cold hard reality is that organizations need um, men and women uh, from the middle and the good go-to people. Those are the folks that make the organization run. They're the ones that get, get things done, and you need those people, and you need to validate their contributions by validating them. And so you raise a very challenging question. Yeah, for for sure, and a, and a lesson for current leaders and aspiring leaders to remember to value the, those people during that individual contributor role. But to the people that have made that choice to, to go into management to try and begin to move up those levels, well, one of the first place, places where it starts 
is with uh, influencing your colleagues, influencing the people around you where you don't have that formal authority. And you have a great uh, little section on that, on how to influence your colleagues. But talk a little bit about what you can do to sort of show and practice your, your management and leadership ability on people that you don't actually have a formal authority over. Well, leading your peers is probably the most difficult form of leadership. And it's, you know, it, it, what it requires is three things. I mean, you have to be competent in your field. In other words, and you have to be credible. Other people believe in you. And you have to have confidence. You have to believe in yourself, and others have to believe in you. Toward that end, you have to be a team player. You have to demonstrate humility. You also have to be an initiator, someone who's willing to pick up the slack where others aren't. At the same time, you've got to back off a little bit and be a collaborator so that others feel that they, they can contribute. In other words, be inclusive. Leading from the middle is not easy. It is, in some ways, much more difficult because... You don't have line authority. If you have line authority over an individual, you can say, do this or else, and there's consequences. There's no consequence. Uh, basically, if you're leading from the middle, if you're leading a peer, you have to lead by the power of your example, the power of your ideas, the power of your persuasion. Now, there's, uh, there's 101 tips in here. I've been, I've been thinking about it in my head. as it's, it's probably a copyright infringement of a different podcast, but of quick and dirty tips for, uh, for leaders. And this one, I think, my, my absolute favorite out of the 101 is number 57, which is something that I think when we, when we think that new leaders need to be confident, they need to show that they're credible, they show they know their stuff, one of the things they default into stopping doing, to do is ask good questions. And yet I think it's key for leaders to know how to ask good questions of their people, of their peers, et cetera. So how does a new leader or a senior leader learn how to ask better questions of their people? Oh, well, that's a good one. I'm glad you picked that out. It's a favorite of mine. I think it starts with a mindset shift. In other words, too often we're thinking, maybe if we're coming up in an organization, if I ask a question, I'm going to look like the dumb kid, you know, and which is the, exactly the opposite. Failure to ask questions um, is a sign of weakness, a sign of insecurity. Fail the willingness to ask questions and good, tough, probing questions is a sign of strength. It means uh, it's also something else. Uh, good leaders are curious. They want to know things. They want to know how uh, how they work. I think Lee Iacocca, in one of his books, it was probably his last book, talked about seven C's of leadership, and one of the C's was curiosity. Leaders want to know what happened and why and how, and so you need to be curious in how things are going to turn out. As the other part of the question that is good for leaders, especially more senior ones, is to how can I help you do your job? That is such a more powerful question when a, a senior leader comes around to a frontline employee or a manager of a store or whatever and says, how can I help you do your job? That shows, ah, oh, we're all on the same boat. And that really gets people opening up. It opens up their mind. It opens up the conversation. And it says to you, I value you as a contributor, and I want to do what I can to help you succeed. So asking questions is a means of discovering information, but it's also ways of building a relationship with, under, with others. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I remember. I think the first time that I heard a, a similar piece of advice actually was in a talk that Jim Collins once gave, and he said one of the better pieces of advice he got was to, to stop trying to be so interesting to other people and start trying to be interested in other people, which I think is key for, uh, for especially for those senior leaders to be interested in people at all levels of the organization and interested in what they need and how you can help them 
uh, do that better job. Without um, question. I just did a recent column for um, Forbes where I talked about stop trying to be the sm- act, stop acting like the smartest person in the room. And, you know, when you knock it down a level and when you put yourself on, hey, I want to learn from you, people open up to you. If you come on and big time people, they just look away. They, they're not interested. So um, it, it's good to open yourself up and question and asking good open Honest questions is a way to do that. And at the same time, you want to ask questions in a collegial manner, not like a prosecuting attorney. Uh, And the thing about a prosecuting attorney in a courtroom is they know, they think they know the answer. With a senior leader asking a subordinate or even a peer, it's, we're in this together. Let's discover this. How does this happen? What can we do about it? What suggestions do you have? So it's more collaborative. Hmm. No, that's that's great advice, and and that that's true because I do think there's a tendency, at least I see it in in organizations that I've worked with in the past and continue to work with, that when someone in a in a senior leadership role is asking questions, there's a there's that minimizing unpleasant messages effect that as you turn it on into that prosecuting attorney tone, I think it it causes people to go into that defensive mode, and then you don't get nearly as much great information as you get in that collegial time. Right. Well, number I said number uh, fifty-seven is my my favorite. I have a second favorite as well, and uh, and that's actually number ninety-nine. I love the way that this this book moves from leading yourself to leading peers to leading organization, and then even into the final stages of of leading organization. Because number ninety-nine deals with when it's time to hang it up. Um, tell me a, a little bit about how a leader knows that it's time to kind of move on from that that senior level role, and how they grow people underneath them to be able to to take that on. It's not easy. Um, imagine yourself, you know, running the enterprise and, you know, one of the things you enjoy are the perks of power as well as being a, someone who's needed, someone who's necessary, someone that people go to. That is a great way to fulfill. So what I did try to explore in this little essay was when do you know that your efficiency is diminishing? You know, athletes, professional athletes, hit this wall. And sometimes, as it's the cliche is, an athlete is the last one to know. But the good ones know that I'm not as effective anymore. I'm not, and, and the good thing about them, the good ones, the real professionals say, you know, I could stay out there, but I'm not helping the team. I need to step aside for a more junior player. And one of the wonderful stories on that is the, how Lou Gehrig really got his start in baseball was a, a man named Wally Pipp who was playing first base. And the old proverbial story is that Wally Pipp was probably the, one of the best hitters that the, the um, 1920s Yankees ever had. He was there before Babe Ruth and, and played along with the Babe. And, but he was seeing his effectiveness diminish. And he didn't want to hurt the team. So, you know, he, um, and he saw this Gehrig kid coming up, and he said, you know, I think it's time I kind of let this kid take my, the first base role. So the old story is, um, you know, tell Miller, who was the coach, tell Miller Huggins, I have a headache. And then, of course, uh, Lou Gehrig uh, stepped in there and played every day for the next 11 years or however many years it was. And so, it, you know, the cliche was, well, he, Wally Pip was a quitter. No, he wasn't. 
he was the guy who put him with the team first, and um, and it, it's, it's a wonderful story. So how do I know when it's time to step aside? Well, I think you look at the team. Does the what what benefits could the team gener- uh, get from um, uh, new blood at the top? Um, am I am I becoming an obstacle? Am I not flexible enough in my thinking? Do I bring the right resources to the team? Um, and finally, a really tough question to answer, and an, and a hard one to, and not a tough question to a, to ask, but a tough one to answer is, can someone else do this job better? And you know, that's what Wally Pipp said. Yeah, Lou Gehrig's a better first baseman than I am, and that's hard to do. So it's a matter of sacrifice, and sacrifice is inherent um, to effective leadership, um, and it's not easy. And at the same time, you know, when a leader steps aside, doesn't mean we're not talking death sentence. Um, sometimes, you know, you can step aside in one position and assume it for another organization, another team, uh, or go off in another different direction. So you fulfilled your potential with this particular team. Maybe it's time to work with another team. So it's 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 measuring one's effectiveness within a given situation. That's really what I'm addressing in that little chapter. Yeah, and I, I love uh, especially that, you know, how do I know that somebody else can be more effective, which is a hard question to um, – that somebody else can do a better job. It's a hard question, I think, to answer, but it's one I think we all need to come to terms with um, on a variety of fronts, especially at senior leadership, but in, in managing a variety of different things. Um, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit. I, I can't recommend the book enough for those people look, looking to learn a little bit more about leading themselves, peers – and their organizations, but I kind of want to see uh, switch it over to you and see what are you reading right now. Oh, God. what I'm reading right now is a wonderful book by Stuart Fire. Um, excuse me, I'm going to get his name right. Firestein um, called Ignorance, <laughs> and he's a professor at Columbia, a neuroscience professor, and he uses the concept of ignorance as a basis for scientific exploration. In other words, it's not what we know; it's what we don't know and want to explore. And that is. I'm also reading um, um, a book by another neuroscientist or a psychiatrist about the four um, something on leadership, uh, psychology of leadership, which is interesting. And of course, I'm going. Uh, I had not read it at the time, but enjoying it immensely. Michael Shahara's book, Killer Angels, which is a wonderful exploration of leadership um, from both the North and the South point of view at the Battle of Gettysburg. So those are my top three books right now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read Killer Angels. It's a fantastic read. Uh, with you right, a lot of really interesting lessons from, from both sides. And then I know that the book the book is out in, in November. It um, is. And I know you're, you're prepping for that launch, but uh, let me ask you this. That you've got uh, 10 books underneath you, this one. I know there's got to be other things on, on the horizon. What's, what's next for you? Well, um, I'm not sure. I want to... Um, um, let's leverage the um, things I've done. My last book, Lead with Purpose, um, I'm still very excited about and leads to a lot of um, uh, speaking opportunities because especially in these times, it's it becomes the lodestone of where you go. How What does it mean to have purpose and what does it mean to lead with purpose? So that's probably where I'm at now. It's more exploring um, things I've done and to continue, of course, with my executive coaching and, and teaching. 
Well, I uh, the leader's pocket guide is the new one out, the uh, the eleventh one. Although there's, if you really want to uh, gear up now for it, I, I recommend Lead with Purpose. I recommend Lead Your Boss is one of one of my personal favorites by John. Um, and then when this comes out in November, pre-order it now. And when it comes out, I, I want you to take the pocket guide challenge and actually look at the next hundred and one days and maybe read beginning of each day, read one and ask yourself what can you do to sort of move towards or take advantage of that advice. It's a it's a solid way to do it. Use it as an almost leadership devotional. However you want to use it, it's got a lot of information out there for you. Well, um, on, on that note, if I may interject, David, um, I didn't yeah. tell you, the book has, um, what I'm excited about the book is, at the end of each section, whether it's self, colleagues, or organization, there's a, te- a self-questionnaire, um, a little assessment you can take. So uh, thank you for this idea of the devotional reading for 100 days. This A little self-assessment will give you some ideas, too. And then at the end of each chapter, uh, um, there's a action steps you can take. So the book has, you know, it's very much designed for self study as well as self-reflection. There's the assessment component and then the action steps. So, you know, here's what I'm reading. Here's how you can put it into action. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's almost as if it's a self, uh, self-contained coaching program that you don't even have to put onto your schedule. You can just carry it with you and pick it up. Absolutely. Well, well fantastic. It's, uh, it's an awesome read. I want to encourage our, our listeners to go ahead and pre-order it now. It's out in November, and we're looking forward to that and, and a bunch of other things that I know are on the horizon. With, with 11 books to his credit, I know John's not done uh, coaching us and teaching us more about leadership yet. But, John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my privilege to be with you, and you do great work, and thank you for this opportunity. 